So 2 Corinthians chapter 13, we're actually going to look at the last few verses of chapter 12 because we didn't get uh, to those uh, last week. But last week in chapter 12, uh, Paul was, was really continuing um, an argument or continuing a defense for why he was an apostle and called of God and specifically why the church at Corinth should listen to him. And for the last really several chapters, that's been what Paul's doing. He's giving an argument or a defense of his apostleship because the church at Corinth is listening to false teachers. And he says, really, the danger is this. They're presenting a, a, a false gospel. They're presenting a false Jesus. And, you know, as we look at it today, like in our context, um, look, as Christians, there's a lot of things we can disagree with with other believers on, maybe that aren't super clear in scripture. And we could say at the end of the day, look, we're brothers in, in Christ and um, we just, you know, we differ on some of those issues and that's okay, right? But there's some things we have to get right. Like when it's clearly taught in scripture, that's not up for a debate. That's not up to try to change what God has spoken and what God has said. And especially when it comes to another Jesus or another gospel. And this is what Paul was dealing with. That there were those that came into the church at Corinth that were corrupting the message of Christ. That were preaching a false Jesus that couldn't save them. And so that's why it was such a big deal. And that's why Paul was broken that they were listening to false teachers. And Paul is... So he's given a defense of his apostleship and his calling. And in, in uh, chapter 12, Paul goes on to talk about how that like he's had these revelations from God. And that God has spoken to him and he says, but you know, if he sure thought that if it wasn't for this affliction or this thorn in the flesh that he was dealing with, we don't know exactly what he was speaking of, but it was something that was Paul looked at. It was some kind of trial, some kind of difficulty that he saw this was a way that God was humbling Paul so that Paul would rely upon God. He even used a phrase, he says, otherwise I would be exalted above measure because all of the things that God had allowed Paul to see and do. And yet, I'll say this, like maybe, maybe you find yourself, or maybe last week even listening, you found yourself struggling with just being able to accept the fact of what God has allowed in your life, that how that is going to be used for God's glory and how that it's going to be used for something good. But I bring you, I hope, encouragement to say that I don't think Paul arrived at that conclusion overnight where he said, I thank God, um, that I thank God that, that he's brought these things. He says, in fact, I'm going to glory in these infirmities. So that the power of Christ can rest upon me. But Paul asked God at least three different times to take it away. And it seems like this was over the course of years and years and years before Paul really reached that conclusion. So if you haven't reached that conclusion yet, I bring you hope. But yet God does have a purpose in all of that affliction, in all of that suffering. So be encouraged, even if you struggle with that. Even if you struggle with coming to the same conclusion that Paul did about your difficulties and about your trials. Maybe you're not at that point like Paul that says, I actually am thanking God for those things. 
Because it's going to give a greater humility, a greater reliance upon God, a greater appreciation for the grace of God, and a greater appreciation for the power of God to be put on display. Paul goes then to continue chapter 12, and it, it seems like he's very heartbroken. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm very gladly going to spend and be spent for you. And then he says, what I think is one of the saddest verses, he says, like, the more that I love you, he says, the less I feel loved in return. And if you've ever been there with people, like, you can relate, like, how challenging that that is and how heartbreaking that is. Maybe it's someone you pour into a lot and you've invested in and you just feel like it's totally unappreciated. You feel like it, that love is... Is, is not reciprocated back. And so I think we, we can see a couple different truths from that. First of all, let's not be like the church at Corinth, like some in the church of Corinth, I should say, where we're, we're not appreciative of people, where we, where we don't recognize that, that people have invested in us and truly care for us, that we should show appreciation and love to those people and respect to those people. But Paul didn't feel like feel like that from the church at Corinth. So another thing I think we see though is we need to examine our motive. Because even though Paul was heartbroken, Paul pressed on. He says, look, I'm going to spend and be spent for you. I don't feel that love. And so we see like, you know, Paul is, Paul is actually like has emotion and feeling and, and that hurt him. But yet he wasn't going to let that stop him. And the question is this, are we serving God? Are we serving his church, one another, even when maybe it's not the results that we want? And that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing, but we have to examine our motive. Paul was like, look, I'm, I'm still going to press on, even though, because he truly, first of all, loved God, knew he was called of God, and loved the church at Corinth. So verse 19, he says, again, think ye that we excuse ourselves unto you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying or to build you up. He's saying all that we're doing is for you, to build you up. We're going to look at that same thing he's going to say towards the end of chapter 13. He's like, I'm not trying to destroy you. I'm trying to build you up. Yes, I'm saying some things that aren't pleasant. Yes, I'm, I'm bringing some warnings to you. But he's like, I'm not trying to destroy you. I'm trying to build you up. That's his point. And I think even as for those that are, are parents, like you can relate to that as well, right? You're not just always trying to be the bad guy. It's just sometimes you have to say some unpleasant things. Sometimes you have to put certain boundaries and you have to give certain warnings like because you want to build up your children, not to destroy them. He says, I fear lest when I come, I should not find you as I would. And then I shall be found unto you such as you would not. So he's saying, look, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, when I come to you this third time that I'm not going to find you in a place where I wish you would be. But he uses all these terms about debating and envying and anger, wrath, strife, backbitings, all this gossip and whispering, all of these things. He's saying, look, that's not how I want to come and see you as. He says, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you. He says that I would be well, or in other words, I should sorrow for many that have sinned and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. So basically saying this, look, I want you 
to take care of these issues and repent of these issues before I have to come and like confront you about it. Before I have to come and address these things. And again, Paul being an apostle, being sent by God, we look at this unique situation like he was like had like this spiritual authority over multiple churches because of his unique calling as an apostle, right? And so there's not something today that is like that we can directly see in that sense. But yeah, I think the application is, look, the people that God has put in our life to speak into our life, even sometimes it might not be always what we want to hear. Like, thank God for that. Thank God for those people. Because those people are not trying to destroy us, but they're actually there to build us up. And this is what Paul's saying, what his purpose was um, in all this. So chapter 13, he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. And then he uses this phrase, he says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word uh, shall every word be established. So he's referring back to like in the Old Testament when they would convict someone Right, It had to be in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And by the way, like, and I mentioned this in a sermon. Um, actually, I did more than mention. I took almost a whole sermon to talk about how does like God's law in the Old Testament, what is the application or what's the equity of that law today? And many of you know this, but so much of our laws like in the Western world, it actually comes from God's law. And we see like the, the law that God gave, well, sure, there's certain differences like, you know, in the Old Testament, because it was a theocracy under God, there were certain times where like, we're not necessarily advocating that all of the penalties in the Old Testament should be applied today. However, God's moral law is always unchanging. And not only that, I would go a step further and to say, we see that the equity of those laws can be applied today. Things like even that annoy us, like building codes, right? Like, man, why did this so excessive? Even some of the things that we got done here, it's like, man, this is so excessive. Some of these things that we have to do. But you know, the purpose of those building codes is to protect life. They're to protect people. Just like in the Old Testament, if they had like on their rooftop, um, like the, in, in, again, in those times, like they would like, be out on their roof. They were flat roofs and they would do a lot out on their roofs. And in the law, in God's law, it's like you, you build like a fence, build, build like a parapet around that to protect life. So we look at that. Well, does that mean that we need to build fences around our roofs? No, we don't have flat roofs. We don't, we don't use it in the, in the same way they did, but we take the equity of that law. You know, you put a, a, a fence around your swimming pool so a toddler doesn't wander in and drown. You know, we, we upkeep things that could be a safety issue. You know, shovel the, the snow and ice off your sidewalk so someone doesn't trip and fall. Like those things, we look at the equity of those things and we say, well, God wants to preserve life. Well, so all that to say, Paul says, he's using this term like in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. We still even take the same equity of that today. You know, where there's, there's multiple lines of, of witnesses. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like, you know, there's got to be two or three different, like, people to convict someone. Like, we have things like, like video surveillance or DNA. And so there could be multiple lines of witnesses to convict someone. Well, you know where we get that from? It's from God's law. 
So Paul's using this, this phrase about, hey, I'm coming to you a third time. And he says, in, in the, the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Like, okay, I'm coming the third time now to you in person. Paul's using language saying, hey, I'm coming with righteous judgment. Now, when we hear things like judging and judgment, a lot of times it can rub us the wrong way. And here's why. Because most of the time, when, when we're thinking about judging or someone judging, we're thinking of an unrighteous judgment. And a lot of times that's what happens, right? We judge people sometimes how Jesus said in Matthew, not to judge. We judge that way. And so that judging, judging unrighteously is a really, really bad thing. And we shouldn't judge in that way. And Jesus even goes into detail about, hey, don't judge someone with your magnifying glass. He's like, stop taking out your magnifying glass and picking out the little specks and little flaws in people while you're ignoring these huge issues in your life. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't judge like that. And a lot of times, like, that's how people judge today. Have you experienced that? Maybe you've had someone do that to you where it's like they want to just pick out the slightest things, but yet they're ignoring all kinds of issues in their own life. Well, Jesus says, don't judge like that. But there is such thing as a righteous judgment. And like I said, there are times when someone maybe confronts us with truth, and we should be thankful for that if it's done in a righteous way. And this is what, exactly what Paul's saying. Look, I'm judging in a righteous way. In other words, I'm not just going to tell you guys what you want to hear. I'm actually telling you what you need to hear. And he says, he goes on to talk about how, that. remember, they kind of looked at him as, oh, Paul's weak. Paul's all talk. Paul's all talk, but, but he's really not, he's not a powerful person and he's not going to do anything. He says, so you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, talking about Christ, he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. So kind of a mouthful, but what he's saying is like, look, when I come back this third time to Corinth, he says, I'm going to come with power. You might think I'm weak. You might think I'm all talk and I'm not going to address this. But he said, I'm going to address these things. And that's why he's saying, you take care of it. You take care of it. You repent of that sin. Don't make it when I come. It's got to be just this awkward confrontation where, where I've got to address all these things to you in person that are unpleasant. He says, my desire is that you would deal with it, that you would repent of those things. Verse number five, he says, examine yourselves. Hey, church at Corinth, examine yourself. In other words, look at yourself. You test yourself. He says what? Whether you're in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not that know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you? He says, except or otherwise, you'll be as reprobates. It means otherwise, if you don't pass the test, if you're not truly in Christ, you'll be found as an as a reprobate or an unbeliever. He's saying, I want you to pass the test that you truly are Christ's. He says, but I trust you shall know that we're not reprobates. We're not as unbelievers. And so this is important, right? Again, there's a specific context here for the church at Corinth. But I think the church today, 
we need to take this same advice and examine our own heart, examine ourselves. He says, whether you're in the faith, whoa. In other words, he's saying, you need to check and see, are you truly a believer? Are you truly saved? And so as, as we read Corinthians, and I've mentioned this a few times, and, and I just want to point this out again. I do find great comfort in scriptures like Corinthians, where, where Paul is addressing all of these issues going on in the church at Corinth. But remember his greeting to them? Well, it's been a while. It was when we were in 1 Corinthians, right? It's been a little bit. But, but Paul's saying, I'm addressing the saints of God that are at Corinth. And then he goes on to say, look, God is going to complete his work in you. And then he's going to go on and list all these issues that he wishes they would deal with. And so I find comfort in that. I find comfort that as believers, look, we are not going to be without sin. God is working in us. God is, is the word, the biblical word sanctified. He's making us more like him. He's making us more holy. But we can take comfort that we are far from complete. But that's okay. God's still doing his work in us. However, also, and Pastor Larry pointed this out a few weeks ago when he was preaching, and I forget exactly which chapter that it was. I know he preached on a, a couple chapters in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, but or he pointed out like how we need to also be cautious. That we also need to be cautious about, you know, looking at passages like that and then automatically thinking, I'm good. No issues. You know, the church at Corinth, they had their issues. So do I, but hey, you know, I'm, I'm saved. The question is, are we truly in Christ? Are we in Christ? Are we a believer? And I say that not to make you doubt your salvation, but to ask that we truly examine whether we are a believer in Christ. Because I think what Paul's pointing out, if you're not repenting of sin and you're not growing and maturing, why are you taking confidence in the fact that you're saved when there is no evidence that you are in Christ? Because if you are in Christ, guess what? God's going to be working in your heart and in your life. Now, I am thankful and I believe that we, we have a strong biblical case to point out that the moment we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we are passed from death unto life, that we are saved, that we are in Christ, we are secure in Him. And that is wonderful. I think that's a great comfort. However, you know what is a great evidence that should give us that comfort? Is that God is continuing to work in our life. In other words, I think like, you know, Paul, modern day speaking, would be like, hey, stop holding on and having confidence in a prayer you said when you were a kid and there's been no evidence and no fruit and no growth in your life for years and years and years. He says, examine yourself, whether you're truly in Christ. The question is, if there's no fruit and God isn't working in you, you're not maturing, you're not growing, you're not being changed into Christ's image at all. Are you really even in the faith? And I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves. 
Not that we go around like, you know, trying to inspect everyone else's life and try to cast doubt and make judgment calls. Well, I don't think they're really saved because I saw what they were doing or I saw what they said. Ah, that's not, they're not. So like, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying examine yourself. Examine yourself. Today, I think all of us at times need to examine ourselves. But hey, if I'm in Christ, if I've put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I am saved by the grace of God alone, right? Through faith alone in Jesus Christ, not of our works, not of our good deeds, not through our religious experience, not through, well, I grew up going to church or I was baptized when I was younger or I said a prayer or fill in the blank. None of those things save us. What saves us is true faith and trusting in Jesus Christ and his finished work for us on the cross. That's what saves us. And you know what gives us a confidence and assurance of that? Is that he's still working in us. Perfectly. I mean, are we without sin? No. Paul's going to tell him be perfect, but we're going to talk about what that word perfect, when he's using that word perfect, he's talking about being complete or mature. He's not saying you're going to be sinless. But if we're truly a believer in Christ, there should be some evidence. There should be some fruit. And I think the biggest evidence is that God is working in our life. That we're repenting of sin. That we're repenting of sin. We're not like just jumping into sin. In other words, you can't be living in just blatant, unrepented sin for years and years. And God's not even convicting you and you have no desire to change. But then, oh, well, I, hey, I, I said the prayer. I'm good. Well, the scripture disagrees with your theology there. That's actually not a sign of someone who knows the Lord. That's not a sign of someone who is, as Paul says, in the faith. Now, again, as Christians, do we still sin? Yes. Can we still struggle with certain like besetting sins? Yes. But here's the thing. We struggle. We struggle with it. We don't just jump into it and, 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 and identify in it and celebrate it. No, we repent from it. Why? Because God has done something and is doing something in our life. So I say this not to try to make someone who knows the Lord, like, doubt your salvation because, oh, you sinned. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, like, is God doing something in your life now? Are you... Maybe you should examine your life, examine your heart as I should mine. Like, am I truly in the faith? Because if we are, then God is working in us. He says, I pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do that which is honest. Though we be as reprobates. It's almost like he's saying, look, have, am I coming across as an unbeliever? Have I failed you? He's like, I want you to follow God. I want you to, I want you to be approved or I want you to pass the test that you truly know the Lord, that you truly know the Lord. Again, let me just be very clear. Not saying that we're saved by any of our good deeds or our, our, our works, our righteous works. We are not. We are saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we must, by faith, trust in him as our Lord and Savior. That is what justifies us. That's what makes us righteous before God, is faith in Jesus Christ. However, what can give us confidence that we are in Christ 
is that we have a desire to follow him. He says, we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. It's almost like he's saying, look, yeah, we may not always live up to it, but it doesn't change the truth. As Christians, sometimes we can live inconsistently with, with how we should live. We can live inconsistently with what it means. To, but, but Paul's saying, look, it doesn't, doesn't change the truth. You're not going to do anything against it. It's not like that cancels out the truth. But I, however, I think he's pointing out a great way to test whether we know the Lord is, is God changing us? Examine yourself, church, is what he's saying. And again, today, I think we need to not be so arrogant as to think we don't need to do the same thing. Examine ourselves. Hey, just being a part of a church and coming on Sundays doesn't mean you're a Christian. Now, please come on Sundays. We love having you. And it's a great place you can grow and, and, and hear the word and, and fellowship with other believers and encourage one another. That's important for a believer. But just religious activity and works don't save us. It's, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul's saying, examine yourself. Are you in the faith? He says, for we're glad that when we're weak and you're strong, in this also we wish even your perfection or your completion, your maturity. He says, therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification, here it is, and not to destruction. And not to destruction. He's saying, look, the, the reason I'm saying these things, the reason is that, you know, you might think it's like really harsh and I'm using sharpness to you when I'm addressing you. He's like, I actually want you to be edified. I want you to be built up. I don't want you to be destroyed. I don't want to discourage you. I want to encourage you. That's what his goal is. That's what he's saying. And, and once again, like, I think we need people in our life like that. That's why it is important to have a, a, a church home and family with other believers that you know and that you trust, where you can have this accountability. Again, not the bad judging in like a condescending, arrogant way, but a righteous judgment of where we hold one another accountable in a loving way, in a way of community. Paul's saying, look, my purpose is not to destroy you. It's actually to edify you. And he says, finally, brethren, farewell, be perfect. There it is again, right? He says, I want there to be, he, he says, perfection in verse nine. And now he says, be perfect. Again, what he's saying here is you should be maturing. You should be maturing. Like, are we going to reach complete maturity here in this life? No, right? That's, that's going to be when, when we're glorified and we're, we're made like Christ, not in the sense that we become a God, but in the sense that that we're going to be complete in him and where we won't sin anymore. That's not here. That's not now, right? I don't have to convince any of us of that because we know we still struggle with sin daily. But our goal should be that we're maturing and growing in our knowledge of God and our love for God. We should be growing. We should be maturing. He says, be of good comfort. Be of one mind. So, you know, he gives kind of like some harsh writings and warnings. And then he's like, but finally, brethren... Or in other words, in closing, farewell, be complete, be mature, be of good comfort, be of one mind. He says, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. This is his desire for them, that they would have this peace. Verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. We talked about this at the end of 1 Corinthians. It's kind of like, whoa, where are you going with this? Paul, what does that mean? Greet one another with a holy kiss. This is just a way of greeting 
that they would do in this culture. It would be like how we would do a handshake or a hug that's perfectly acceptable, perfectly normal, right? Well, for them, they would greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. I know it seems weird. Not saying that we emulate that. That was a cultural thing. But he's saying, like, greet one another. He's like, I want you to be at peace with one another. He says, and all the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. What a beautiful closing. Verse 14. And we see that in other places, but it's not all the time. Like in one verse, we see where it's addressed, the, the Godhead, the Trinity, where it's one being, but yet three distinct persons in that, that being, the Father, the Son, and Spirit. Paul's saying, look, I want that grace and love and communion of the Godhead to be with you all. That's his desire for them. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And that is his conclusion. That's our conclusion for the book of 2 Corinthians. So before we, uh, before we pray and uh, before we conclude our service, just want to really give you four things to meditate on. I'm just going to list them. We're going to talk about some of these in our groups this week. But I want you to consider, I'm asking you, I'm asking me to consider some of these things in application to our life of what we just studied and read, really of the last few weeks, but specifically of today. Number one, in application for us to consider, I'm asking you to, to, to examine yourself, to ask yourself this question, as I will for me. Are we serving out of a pure motive? What's our motive? How do we act when we're not appreciated? Do we truly love people? Now, again, I'm not saying it's okay when we are, we're not shown that love or that appreciation when that's not reciprocated. Like, that can be a hard thing. That can really hurt. And I think it hurt Paul. I mean, Paul's just being honest with his emotions of how that made him feel. But you know what? He was still going to press on. And I think sometimes that can be a great revealer of our motive. Because there's times you're not going to be appreciated. There's times in the church, and maybe you have experienced being hurt in the church or by the church, by people in the church. And you know what? That's a serious thing, and that's a problem. And I'm sorry that you've gone through that. But you know what? Don't throw in the towel because people have acted like they shouldn't. Because they've acted in ways that believers shouldn't act. Again, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying, like, we're in... You know, as even as believers, we're being sanctified. We're growing, and sometimes we can still sin, and we can still hurt people. You know, Paul was hurt by it, but he was still going to press on. He said, even though I don't feel this love back, he says, I'm going to, I love the, the phrase he uses, I'm going to spend and be spent for you. In other words, he says, I'm going to totally sacrifice for, for your good, because I love you, and I truly care about you. And we know that flowed out of a love for God and a love for the church. So what is our motive? I think that's an important question that we need to ask ourselves. Now, again, let's show people appreciation. Let's show people love. Don't wait. Too often, you know what we do? We wait till a funeral to then, like, you know, speak well of people and to, to, to tell about how much we appreciate them. Um, don't wait for that. Let the people in your life know that you love them, you care about them, and you appreciate them. 
But on the flip side, as a believer, you know what? We're not always going to be treated how we should be. Sometimes when we sacrifice, sometimes when we do a lot for others, we might not we might not get that love and that respect in return. Even the Apostle Paul dealt with that. But yet, what is our true motive? Secondly, we say this, don't resent righteous judgment. Hey, the people in your life that maybe are telling you some things that you need to hear and it's not always what you want to hear. You know what? If they're people that, that truly love God and love you, um, that's actually a good thing that you have them in your life. They're there because they truly care about you. You know, and again, I think that like as parents, we automatically think like, you know, with our kids and especially those of us that have teenage kids, like they don't see that, right? They're like, oh man, you're just trying to make my life miserable. Like, no, we're not. We actually truly care about you. And I think Paul's saying that to the church, like, I'm not trying to destroy you. I want you built up. I want you edified. So, hey, if we have people and even as adults, it's still hard to hear things that we don't want to hear. But, you know, sometimes we need to hear them. Sometimes we need to hear them. Don't resent that if you have people. Again, we're not talking about people that are judging unrighteously or that, that are just ignoring all of the advice they're giving you. They're just ignoring it in their life, but they're just, you know, they're just focusing on you. Like, we're not talking about that. I'm talking about people that truly love you, truly care about you. Don't resent that. God's put them in your life to build you up. Thirdly, we need to ask ourselves, are we truly in the faith? Are we truly saved? And I ask you, do, do you truly know the Lord as your Savior? And if you've never personally trusted in Christ as your Savior, look, we want you to come to that saving faith in Jesus Christ. But there's no such thing as like you're just saved and you're just a believer because like your parents were. Or because, well, I grew up going to church. Well, that's great. But the thing is, every one of us had to reach a point have to reach a point where we personally trust Christ as our Lord and Savior. Some of you know my testimony. Like, I was saved at a young age, but I grew up in church. Like, I grew up in church every single Sunday. Like, every Sunday morning, come back, Sunday night. And actually, go back. Sunday school was before the service. Then Sunday service. And then, you know, a little break in between sometimes. And then go back Sunday night service. And then on Wednesday night, there, there's another service that you come to. And like stuff throughout the week. I, I had a lot of, 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 of those things. And I, I look back, I'm really thankful for those things. I thank God for those opportunities. But here's the thing, that didn't make me a Christian. Just being involved in all of those things. That didn't make me a Christian. No, I had to come to a point where I personally put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As my Lord and Savior, I had to see that even though I had, you know, a lot of, of, of good religious things surrounding me, that that didn't save me. That I still was at a heart of rebellion towards God and I needed a Savior. And, you know, every one of us have to realize that we personally have to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so the question is, are are you, am I, like, willing to examine ourselves? Like, do we, are we truly in the faith? Do we know the Lord? Is there evidence that God is working in our heart? Are we maturing? Are we growing? Are we truly saved? Are we repenting of sin regularly? Again, it doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin. I would actually point out the opposite. 
I think that when you truly are battling and struggling with sin, it's because you are a believer in Christ. And you want God to change you. And you want there to be that repentance of, of becoming more and more like Christ. And having a greater love for Christ. And detesting our own sin in our life even more. And I think the more we mature, the more we see the flaws in our own life. And the more we should want God to change our life. Are we truly in the faith? And then, kind of as I already mentioned, are we maturing? Is our desire to truly grow to be perfect, not in the perfect sense when we use it like we're, we're completely flawless. It just means maturing and in, in, in completion. Are we growing as a believer? This, is, this was Paul's desire for the church at Corinth. And I think it should be our desire as believers for ourselves and for our fellow believers. Let's spend a few moments in prayer.